Before we join together in prayer this morning, I wanted to uh, make a brief comment, a brief statement about some recent events that have taken place in our, in our country. Um, we as Christ followers and here at First Free as Christ Church, I want you to know that we condemn and denounce any and all racism including anti-Asian racism. Our top commitment, top commandment that God gives us is to love God and also to love our neighbors. As followers of Jesus, we believe that all people are made in the image of God. In this Lenten season, we remember, of course, that the Lord Jesus took on flesh to embody God's healing and to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. That before the cross of Christ, that all of us, every one of us, we stand equally sinful and in need of a Savior. Nobody is superior to anyone else. And I got to tell you, and I want you to hear this. If you are Asian and you are part of our church here at First Free, I want to affirm you. And I want you to hear from me as the pastor of this church, that you are family, that you are seen, and you're loved. We follow Christ, and we, as his church, stand against this anti-Asian racism and discrimination of any kind. Let's pray. Lord God, we come this morning, and we acknowledge that we certainly are in need of you. We come again this morning and we've asked you to forgive us of our sins. Those times, God, we have treated others um, as less than. Those times that we have discriminated or or mocked or abused or mistreated those around us that, God, you love. We're amazed at your love. Your love, it's truly priceless. You, you are truly priceless and beyond our understanding. And we come this morning and we honor and worship you because of who you are. We ask you to help us this morning in this hour to see you more clearly. Because you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Help us understand more of what that means. Lord, we also come this morning as a church in need of you. We need you to heal us, we need you to move in us, we need you to change us. We ask God that you would protect us, guide us. God, we need your Holy Spirit to just to, to fill us. That the fruit of the Spirit might become part of who we are. Father, we pray for those in our church that are hurting. We pray for Doug Beckett and Phil Reed. Others who have COVID in our church body. Would you heal them? We pray for Jill Rose. We ask God you, you might give her clarity of thought. Protect her, God. We pray for the Fager family. We 
We thank you <laughs> that they're home here now. And we ask that you would provide for them as they are adjusting to being a family of six. God, there's other needs that are here this morning. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would meet those needs. I ask, God, that you might meet each one of us here this morning, that we might hear your voice, that we might encounter you. And as we focus on you, might we understand more who you are. Might we be changed because because you have met with us. Lord, they have given me that title, Reverend, but we both know that that's not true. So God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and you would cleanse me and use me as your vessel this morning. That you would speak through me, but not my words, your words. And God, I pray that your words would be clearly communicated And you would change hearts and lives. You would change each one of us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things, Lord, in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Many times we remember people by uh, one mistake that they have made. (laughs) Uh, You say the name Richard Nixon and immediately... You know, people think about Watergate, right? And they forget about his uh, multiple trips to China. If you're a Minnesota Viking fan and you uh, mention the name of Gary Anderson, (laughs) immediately uh, you think of how uh, Gary Anderson missed that uh, 39-yard field goal against the Atlanta Falcons in the NFC Championship game in January of 1998 costing the Vikings another chance of going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> we don't know what would have happened. We, we can guess, but we don't know what would have happened. But. If you go to church and you mention the name Peter, immediately everyone thinks about the time that Peter denied Christ. But you know, I, 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 think, I think Peter gets a, a, a bum rap. Um, because there's much more to, to uh, Peter uh, and his character than just that one mistake. Despite that one famous mistake, do you realize that Jesus blessed him and built his church upon him? Despite his inconsistency, Jesus gave Peter a major role in the, in the kingdom of God. Despite the denial of Jesus Peter became a leader in the church, and he preached that very first sermon and became a trusted counselor of the Apostle Paul. (laughs) That one mistake, see, it it didn't define Peter. You say, well, why not? I mean, how is it that Peter was able to overcome that awful mistake on that last night of Jesus' life to become, I mean, a, a leader in the church? And what might might we learn from uh, Peter that will enable you and I to allow our past mistakes not to define us? Well, before we look at Peter's colossal failure, um, I think, first of all, we need to remember a little bit about who Peter was. We need to get to know a little bit more about 
Peter. Remember back in Luke chapter 5, it was there that Jesus personally called Peter to come and to follow him. And after that time, Peter, he spent three years, think about this, he spent three years with Jesus, by Jesus' side, listening and learning with Uh, from Jesus' teaching, uh, witnessing Jesus' miracles, watching every move that Jesus made. I'm Peter. Think about this. He was mentored personally and molded and developed for a life of impact and significance by Jesus. And although we might say that Peter was one of Jesus' most intimate and um, trusted disciples... I got to tell you, we might also describe Peter as being inconsistent. See, you look at what the Gospels tell us about Peter, and it seemed like Peter would bounce back and forth, you know, between faith and failure, between courage and fear, between nerve and hesitancy. In answer to Christ's question as to who he was, remember this? Peter responded, you're... The Christ, you're you're the son of the living God. Yet a few moments later, when Jesus spoke of going to the cross, Peter, Peter objected. He says, never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. It was Peter on that stormy night there in that boat that called out bravely, Lord, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And then a few moments later, you find Peter crying out, Lord, save me. (laughs) In the upper room, it was Peter who proudly declared, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Then a few moments later, after Jesus explained what he was doing, Peter responded, then, Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head as well. (laughs) I mean, who here can't relate to Peter's humanity, right? We see Peter's inconsistency once again on that final night before Jesus' crucifixion in the uh, 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me to Luke 22 this morning. We continue our look at the passion of Christ out of the Gospel of Luke. This morning we're going to look at chapter 22, starting in verse 54. Look with me, Luke 22, verse 54. Then they seized him, that is Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And watch this, look at this. Peter was following at a distance. You see that? Peter was following at a distance. In a landslide of events that were taking place, It occurred with blinding intensity and speed. Jesus, who had been praying in the garden, all of a sudden is betrayed by Judas, and then he's taken by the authorities. And while all of the other disciples, they flee, while all the other disciples, they desert Jesus, Peter, it says, followed him at a distance. I wonder why, don't you? Why, why, why did Peter follow Jesus? I mean, was it bravado or was it bravery? I mean, think about it. Peter had bragged earlier that evening, Lord, um, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. <laughs> so probably it was some bravado was involved here. That's the reason why he followed Jesus. 
But it might might have also been bravery. I mean, when the soldiers had come to arrest Jesus, remember this? It was Peter who backed up his words by cutting off the high priest's servant's ear. (laughs) Maybe it was both. Maybe it was both bravado and bravery. Was it curiosity or loyalty? Maybe. Matthew tells us Peter was following him at a distance and going inside with the guards to see the end. Catch that, to see the end. (laughs) Evidently, there was some curiosity involved. Peter wanted to see how this thing was going to all end up. But there's also some loyalty. I mean, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus, after his disciples, after he said to his disciples, the sheep will be scattered, Peter responded, Jesus, even though they fall away, I never will. I wonder, why, why did Peter follow Jesus into that courtyard? Well, maybe it was a mixture of all those things. Maybe it was a mixture of bravado and bravery and curiosity and loyalty. My guess is it was also because of love. (laughs) See, Peter's love of Jesus, I think, motivated him to to follow. You remember what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection? Jesus quizzed Peter three times if he loved him or not. (laughs) And Peter responded each time, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. See, I want to suggest to you, I think Peter's love of Jesus moved him to put himself at considerable risk. Peter, yes, he might have been inconsistent, but while everyone else was deserting Jesus, I have to give Peter some credit, don't you? Because at least he followed Jesus. But then the inconceivable happened. Even the bravest on that night stumbled and fell. Even the most loyal failed. That one who had been called the rock crumbled. Look with me at verse 55. It says this, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him, As he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, Hey, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. (laughs) Uh, Peter, you realize this, he was in the middle of uh, some dangerous company, right? I mean, here he was, sitting around a fire in the midst of the enemy. Conversation was going on around that campfire. Talk maybe about the the Passover crowds, um, about the fight maybe that had taken place earlier that day in the barracks, um, about that rabbi from Galilee. Someone takes a log and throws it onto the fire, and the fire flares up. And there in that new light, this servant girl, she spots this guy, this stranger, and she studies him, and she sees that he's a a little bit uncomfortable, that he looks a little bit nervous, and she points to him and says, hey, this man was with him. And Peter quickly denies it. Woman, I do not know him. (laughs) 
Do you ever wonder why Peter didn't just leave right then and there? I mean, why didn't Peter bail out after his first denial? I mean, he should have, right? I mean, he should have remembered what Jesus had said. I mean, after he told that servant girl that he didn't know Jesus, he, he should have, at that point, recognized his own vulnerability and, and gotten up and, and left. But he didn't. Well, he, he stuck around. Which I think is a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? I mean, when you are in a hostile, a hostile environment and you fall into sin, don't go back there. <laughs> Don't convince yourself that you're able to stand up uh, against it next time because you will fall. In fact, you'll fall even further and it will be worse. That's why the Bible says flee fornication, flee immorality, flee youthful lust, flee idolatry, flee the love of money. Peter stayed in that hazardous spiritual place for over an hour, and each denial became stronger than the previous one. Then comes a second accusation, but Peter fails again. Look with me at verse um, 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. (laughs) The first time Peter denied knowing Jesus, the second time he denies being one of Jesus' disciples. About an hour later comes the third denial. Look with me, verse 59. And about an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man is also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. (laughs) Mark's gospel adds this to Peter's third denial. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. You put that in our vernacular today. Peter was saying, may God strike me dead if I know that guy. (laughs) Incredible collapse, don't you think? No matter what you may have done or experienced. Listen, I can't imagine a more complete failure than Peter's. It wasn't just a moral failure. It was a a complete spiritual breakdown. Everything his life had been about, everything that he had committed himself to, pledged himself to, was renounced. He had been a disciple, one of those, one of the chosen 12. He had walked and talked and he had laughed and celebrated with Jesus for, for three years. He'd gone public with his commitment, even saying that if, if it ever came down to it, he would be the last man standing. Jesus had designated him to be a leader, a foundation upon which he would build, someone that would make a difference for the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus went as far as to give him a new name. I mean, his name used to be Simon, but now you're Peter, the rock. (laughs) But in a single night, even with Jesus' warning about him earlier that evening, Peter denied even knowing him. Not once, but three times. 
All of his words came back to him. All of his bravado, all of his posturing, all of his spiritual confidence. Some rock, huh? So what do we do with Peter's collapse? I mean, how do we explain Peter's failure? Let me suggest Peter's collapse can be explained in this way. Because of Peter's overconfidence in his own spiritual strength. I think he he failed to recognize his own personal weaknesses. Peter thinks he's able to stand up for Jesus, but he's not as ready for the battle as he thinks he is. And as a result, Peter makes one of the biggest mistakes of his life. But let's remember that his sin here is one of a spontaneous denial and not a deliberate one. I mean, Peter's inconsistent, but he's not a, he, he isn't a hypocrite. I mean, I hear people say all the time, well, one sin is as bad as every other one. I mean, all sins are equal, Right? I got to tell you, that's not true. It's true that one single sin uh, separates you from a holy God. In that way, they are all equal. But it's not true that all sins are the same. I mean, some are more hideous than others. You back in the Old Testament, and you could find uh, the specific penalty, for example, of stealing uh, a sheep was you were to restore the sheep fourfold. But the penalty for kidnapping a person was execution. (laughs) See, sins vary in degree of wickedness in the eyes of God. And sin varies in motivation, too. Some are premeditated. Some are impulsive. Uh, God differentiates between falling into sin and scheduling sin on your calendar. There's a major difference between the sin of Judas and the sin of Peter. Judas' sin was a greater sin because, listen, he had been plotting it for a long time. Peter's sin was impulsive. He didn't go into that courtyard intending to deny Jesus. No, he, he thought he could withstand being there in that crowd. We do, all of us, don't we, the same type of thing all the time? I can go to that party. I won't give in. I can date that unbeliever. I'll convert him. I can watch that movie. (laughs) It won't affect me. I can miss church. Ah, no big deal. I could be on that internet site without it ever affecting me. I mean, I can handle it. (laughs) Peter failed to recognize his weaknesses and his liabilities, and the end result was tragic. As Peter's third denial was still on his lips, the rooster crows, and Jesus turns, and he catches Peter's eye. And suddenly Jesus' words from earlier that evening come back to Peter And he goes out, and Luke tells us he weeps bitterly. The rock had collapsed into the story.
Now listen, I um, have a pile of stones, you know, available uh, up here for anybody willing to uh, come up here and claim that they're without sin. Um, If you've never denied Christ, (laughs) never sought to preserve yourself or your name over Christ and his name, then I want to welcome you to come on up after the service and grab a stone. Um, whoever has never chosen the easy route of disobedience rather than the, than, than the difficult route of obedience, then I invite you to step forward. Anybody? Nobody. <laughs> that was my guess. Because we've all sinned, right? We all have failed. We all know what it's like not to stand up for Jesus. We all know and can identify with Peter what it's like to be overconfident in our own spiritual strength. We all can relate to Peter. Do you know the sentence here in this passage, in this story that stands out to me? It's the beginning sentence of verse 61. Look with me. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. What do you think Peter saw in the eyes of Christ in that moment? Condemnation? Disappointment? Anger? I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, I want to suggest that Peter saw love in Jesus' eyes. After all, it was Jesus who told the story about the, the son who took his, all of his possessions, left his father, and then went out and squandered all of those possessions, all, of those, all that money in reckless living. And then after coming to his senses, uh, this son, he returns to his, his father's home, hoping at least to be received back as a, as a servant. But instead, the father runs out. Remember the story? To meet him. The father gives him the the best robe and and, and gives him a a ring to put on his finger and and put brand new shoes on his feet and and he throws this big uh, welcome home party for him. (laughs) And that story was all about grace. That story that Jesus told and Peter was there listening to was all about forgiveness. That that boy didn't just, he didn't get what he deserved. No, he got mercy. So I think when Jesus catches Peter's eye in that moment, that Peter sees mercy. Peter sees compassion. (laughs) That Peter sees love. And that love leads Peter leads to Peter's restoration. There's that same look later after Jesus' resurrection that I think Peter saw in Jesus over that fire there on that beach. As Jesus was restoring Peter with his repeated question, Peter, do you love me? He was reminding Peter how much he loved Peter. (laughs) He was reminding Peter of, of, of his complete forgiveness. Let me ask After you fail, after you fail God, do you expect to see 
love in Jesus' eyes? After you sin, do you ever hear Jesus ask you the question, do you love me? That question, that question, it's the first thing on God's mind after you fail him. <laughs> See, when we sin, I got to tell you, it's our betrayal. It's our disowning of Jesus. When, we're, when we sin, we're the ones who turn away. And Jesus is asking Peter here, do you want to be in relationship with me or not? God wants to forgive us. God wants to restore us. God wants to be close to us and accept us right where we're at. But do we want that with God? You may say, well, of course I do. I mean, who wouldn't, right? But be careful. I mean, you can want to know about God and, and you can talk about God and you can think about God, even do things for God and not want to love God. Do you really want to deal with your sin and turn from your sin and own your sin and come to God with a, with a tender heart, a heart that wants to be restored? What's encouraging about Peter's story is that he learns from his failure. Fast forward to Luke's second book, the book of Acts. And now we see this same man who had once had this colossal collapse now on the streets in the public square risking everything to tell others about the love and the forgiveness that he found in Jesus. I mean, he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's preaching and he's serving God. And we say, well, why could he do that? Because he knew his own sinfulness and he also knew Christ's love. He knew he was weak, but he also knew God's strength. He knew he was broken, but he also knew that he was forgiven. In the gaze of Christ, Peter saw the gospel of Christ. <laughs> you understand the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has two movements to it. The first movement says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared to believe. And the second movement follows very quickly and says, I am more accepted and more loved than I ever had hoped. And in those two movements, the gospel both, destroys both pride and fear. Have you ever experienced the gaze of Christ? Christ's forgiveness, listen, it's not just for Peter. God offers complete and total forgiveness to anyone who wants it. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, he was saying, I have paid the price for every sin, for every failure, for every mistake, for every screw-up, <laughs> even yours and mine. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn. No, he came to save. He came to offer a new life. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore the lessons that, you, that should be learned from our sin or, or sometimes that there's consequences to our sin that linger. Or there are sins or something that God takes lightly. But sin doesn't have to end your life. 
It doesn't have to be the final word. (laughs) It's not the final verdict. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can come before a living and loving God and say, I'm sorry, I really do love you. (laughs) Forgive me. And he will. But that's not all that he will do. He'll also say, now let's start over. Follow me. Listen, you may be sitting here, you may be watching online and wonder if you can ever push the patience of God to the limit and never get another chance. Or you may feel like you've taken him up on second chances before, but there's a limit how many times you can come to him in failure. You may be scared to death that you've committed a sin or a series of sins too great to forgive. I don't know where you're at, but God does. And I got to tell you, Peter thought the same thing. But then he gazed into the eyes of Christ and discovered something so radical, so unbelievable, he hardly knew how to respond. He discovered God's infinite love, God's infinite grace. He discovered that God is the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the hundredth chances. He's the God of new beginnings, no matter how many times they're needed. Listen, don't run from your failures. Give them over to God and gaze into the eyes of Christ because it's the gaze of Christ where you'll discover his infinite love and infinite grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for those great stories, memorable stories that you told, but more importantly, thank you for what you did on the cross for us, that you died for our sins because of your love for us. And you continue to call out to each one of us to follow you. And ask us that question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, might we gaze into your eyes and see your love and your grace. In your son's precious name, amen.